I want to welcome everybody today, and I want to mention a couple of things as, as we get rolling today. One is we're uh, starting to get uh, people signed up to help with Vacation Bible School. So if you want to be a part of that, I want to encourage you to do that, and you can sign up out in the foyer after the service out there. Diane will be there signing people up, and, and it's it's always a, a great opportunity that we have to share the gospel with kids in our community. And so it's going to be in June. You think June, that's a long ways off. It's not a long ways off when you got a plan for a couple hundred kids. So we need to get uh, teachers, helpers, and every uh, people who work with recreation, snacks, all kinds of stuff that goes on with it. But it, it'll be five nights, and it's going to be a great time. I'm looking forward to it. And then the other thing is this month we are... Um, emphasizing our missions for uh, our offering for international missions. We'll have a video after the sermon today, but uh, I want to encourage you to pray about that. So we're going to almost wrap up Hosea today. Next week we'll finish it off, but today's going to be chapters 12 and 13 as, as we've been going through there, and this is the, the second part of it. Chapter 13 is the third part, and 1 to 3 were the first part. But, uh, but as we come in there, we're going to wrap it down. And, and in there, in Hosea chapter 12, God begins by saying, in verse 1, he says, Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence. They make a covenant with Assyria, and oil is carried to Egypt. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. So um, if, if I was kind of sum these six verses up, I, I would I'd kind of come and say that they're saying stop struggling and receive grace. He's talking about Jacob striving and, and striving with God. And, and the, the thing for us today, it's really easy to think I've got to get it all done. I'm responsible. I have to make things happen. Or if this doesn't, you know, if I don't do this, nobody else is going to get it done or nobody else can get it done the way that I can get it done or any, any number of things. And, and I would say uh, probably one of the first things this morning before I ever got here, I got a text message this morning. The internet is down. I used to think, so what? You know, I mean, you're you're up there talking. You don't need the internet anyway, right? I don't. I really don't. And, uh, and I didn't need it when I learned how to do this. They didn't even have the internet. So um, this is a whole new world, and and it would probably be a better world if we go backwards. But but we can't. So so you know, call Greg's like, hey, the internet's down again. Um, we're on this, going on and on and on. And finally, I was like, I can't do this. I cannot take care of what I need to do because nobody wants to do my job this morning. I promise you that. Um, and and so I just need to pass my phone to Kurt. And I did. I go, Kurt, here's my phone. Just tell him to make it work. And, and so Kurt takes over, and, um, and it's still not working, and I, I don't even care. It's done. Um, it'll be recorded and, and happen later. But, uh, but anyway, it's really easy to think that because for me, I'm, I'm wired that way. When I get on something, it's like I dig in, and, and I want to go, and I want to analyze it and figure it out and, and problem solve, and, and, and I get task-oriented, and then all of a sudden I realize, whoops, i got to stop here because this is not important. This is not what matters. And, and this is what God is saying to Ephraim. He's saying Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. He's trying to control the uncontrollable. Ephraim or Israel, they're trying to do what they cannot do. The east wind is a Scirocco in the Middle East. It's, it's a dangerous wind that blows in. You know, when you see the movies and they're out on their camels or whatever it is, they're on the movie, and all of a sudden the sky goes black, and, and you know, you see these people scared to death because they're in the desert, this big storm. That's the Scirocco. It's the wind that's coming in, and it's dangerous, and it's unstoppable. And, and they're trying to build alliances with the Syria um, and they're trying to find support and security by sending oil to Egypt. And, and this is olive oil, not motor oil. 
But, um, but so they're sending this, this stuff back, the, the goods of the day, so to speak, and trying to buy alliances and build alliances with the godless nations around them. And it's an impossible situation. This is what God is saying. It's impossible to do this, and it's going to end in disaster. He's saying you cannot do this. So Ephraim is spending all of her energy trying to do for herself what God is offering to do freely. They're trying to do everything on their own rather than just turning to God and allowing God to do it for them. They're spending themselves to buy God's favor. And, and God was offering it to them freely if they would simply enter into covenant with him. So, so this is what he's saying. You are striving. You are striving just like Jacob was striving for his entire life. In Isaiah 55, 1 through 3, God said, Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. So God calls the people, and he says, look, if you'll come to me, I will meet your needs. I will supply to you what you can't do for yourself. Why are you trying to do that? And Jacob, he's, he's a great example of this in this text of struggling to get ahead by his own means and, and never achieving it. But when he turns to God, he becomes a recipient of grace. If you come in and saying that um, Jacob, <clears throat> Jacob took his brother by the heel in the womb, and in his manhood he strove with God, and, and, um, and then he wept and sought the favor of God. He met God at Bethel, and, and there God spoke to us. So he's giving the story of the life of Jacob, and if you know Jacob, Jacob is, is um, he begins and it says he grabbed his, brother heel, his brother's heel in the womb. Later on, he gets his brother to sell him his birthright. Then he goes and tricks his father into getting his father's, uh, getting his brother's blessing from his father. He's doing everything in his power to make life happen the way he wants it to happen. And, and he is doing it. It makes no difference what it is or how he does it. He's just doing it. And this is what God is saying to Israel. He's saying, look, you, you can't be that. Instead, you need to be like Jacob when he has grown and when he has matured. And, and there he is receiving the blessing from God later on. But, but in the early years, he, he was totally wrong in the way that he was going about that. And sometimes it's really easy to get caught up in all of the busyness of life and, and try to make things happen rather than trusting in God to give us direction and, and to show us the, the places where that we need to invest our time and energy. Um, it, God's not telling Israel, you just sit around and relax and don't do anything. That's not the point. What he's saying is, is you need to focus your energies where I'm directing you to. You need to focus your life where I'm calling you to. And so we need to trust God and, and come in and, and to do that or stop struggling and receive grace from God. We just need to stop trying to earn the favor of God and receive it through Christ, that he has given it to us in that way. And, and you may be uh, thinking, you know, you come along and you, and you look along in life and, and a real easy thing to do is, is if I do the right things, if I do the right things, then God will love me. Or if I do the right things, God will treat me better. Or if I do the right things, I'll get a blessing from God. Or if I just do this, then this will be the result of it. And the problem is, is that we don't earn the favor of God. We don't earn the grace of God. Or if you go back in Isaiah uh, 55, where he said there, he said, come and take freely. Come and drink freely. Come and eat freely. Come and receive from me freely. He didn't say, do the right stuff and then I'll take care of you. No, he asked them to come in to this covenant. And, and so we don't earn the favor of God. It's something that he gives to us freely. Another way of putting it in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Paul put it this way. He says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as the result of works, so that no one may boast. He, 
Paul, he put it this way. He said, look, you, you've been saved not because you did the right things, but because God has bestowed his favor upon you freely. You didn't earn it. You didn't get good enough for it. He just did it. He did it. Remember, um, for, for the whole year, we've been talking about Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God did it in spite of our brokenness. He did it out of grace and mercy and love. So we don't earn salvation and we don't earn God's love by doing. It's a gift that's made possible by the grace of God shown to us in Christ. So as, as we come in and, and look at that, we need to understand that we need to stop trying to earn the favor of God and understand that we are loved by God not because of anything that we have done, but because of what Jesus did for us and he accomplished for us on the cross. We are the recipients of his grace and we can relax. And instead of trying to go, 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 do, 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 we can sit back and look at what does God want to do in my life? Where is God working in me? Where is God directing me? What is God doing around me? How can I be a part of, of the great things that, that he has in store for me? And rather than struggle and try to make it happen on my own, why don't I trust him and let him take me where he wants me to be? And as I go on that journey, then I can labor and labor in him and the labor will be sweet and meaningful and fulfilling. And all the while, I'll know that I'm loved by him, and I don't have to question that. And then the next thing in verses 7 through 12 is to evaluate everything according to God's word. We have to evaluate everything according to God's word. We receive the grace of God and evaluate according to his word. In verse 7, he says, A merchant in whose hands are false balances, he loves to oppress. Ephraim has said, Ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself. In all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I will again make you dwell in tents as in the days of the appointed feast. I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied visions and through the prophets gave parables. If there was iniquity in Gilead, they surely come to nothing. In Gilgal, they sacrifice bulls. Their altars are also like stone heaps on the furrows of the field. Jacob fled to the land of Aram. There Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he guarded sheep. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt, and by a prophet he was guarded. Ephraim has given bitter provocation, so his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. So we need to evaluate, and, and sometimes we're lulled into believing that success and security are in wealth or circumstances. He comes in here, he says, a merchant in whose hands are false balances he loves to oppress. Um, he's giving the picture. And, and back in that day, if, if you were to go buy goods, um, say you wanted to go buy a pound of broccoli, you know, you don't want to buy a pound of broccoli. And they think, well, I would never buy a pound of broccoli. Why would I want broccoli? Nobody likes broccoli, right? I love it. Um, I do like it. But, um, and cauliflower. Um, so <clears throat> I'll even eat Brussels sprouts. Um, but anyway, if you go buy a pound of whatever you're buying a pound of, a pound of grain, um, they would have a weight, and they would stick it on the scales, and you would balance it out. And, and so the, the thing to do, he's saying, you know, the merchant, the crafty merchant, if he's selling, he has a one-pound weight that doesn't really quite weigh a pound, so that for every 10 or so pounds he sells, he gets an extra one out of it. In other words, he's making a little money. And, and he's adding up. And if he's buying, he's got a different weight he pulls out. And it weighs a little bit more, so he gets a little bit extra. So he's always making a little bit more than really he should be making. And, and he's saying this, uh, he, he loves to oppress. And, and he's saying, oh, but I'm rich. I found wealth for myself and all my labors. Who can find in me iniquity or sin? And, and it's, so it's really easy to be sometimes lulled into thinking, you know, I'm doing really well and I've worked hard. I've had some deals go my way. I've been smart with my business. And yeah, I got the better of this guy in that deal. And, and that's okay. And how can anyone even fault me for that? I mean, seriously, I mean, I'm just, I'm just doing what everybody does. And this is what God's charge is against Israel, saying, that's it. You're doing what everybody else does. And that's not who I called you to be. And, and you're thinking, well, everybody else around me is doing this. So what's wrong with it? And God's saying, I don't really care how everybody else is. You are my people. 
I called you to reflect me to the world around. I want people to see me when they see you. I want people to be drawn to you when they, ta- when they see you. So the logic that everyone else is doing it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. As a matter of fact, um, anybody who's raised kids has heard this phrase, well, everybody else is doing it. And then the next phrase is, well, if all your friends jump off a cliff, are you going to jump off a cliff too? And I think, you know, we haven't come up with anything better, have we? I mean, because it just makes sense. It's like, yeah, stupid is stupid. You know, you can't fix stupid. Um, but, uh, but anyway, um, the, the thing is, is this is what we do. We do this as adults as well. This is what Ephraim is doing. He's going, hey, who can find fault in me? I mean, I'm just doing what everybody else is doing. I'm just doing the way that we do business in our world. I'm just living in my culture the way my culture looks and feels and is. And I'm going along to get along. And and this is the way that life works. And, And so why are you on my back? Hosea is slamming their attitude and calling them out on it. This is what he's doing. He's just slamming them. This is what God is slamming these people on this attitude, and he's calling them out on it. He says, I am the Lord your God who called you out of the land of Egypt. I, again, will make you dwell in tents. Look, don't get sassy with me. I know where you came from, and I'll send you back there in a heartbeat. And, and so that's, that's God's response to this. And, and he's saying you need to evaluate the world around you, not according to the stuff that you see, but you need to evaluate it according to the truth of God, the God who brought you out of Egypt, the God who delivered you from slavery, the God who took you from nothing and gave you everything, the God who took you out of bondage and gave you freedom, who gave you a life, who gave you a hope, who gave you a future, who provided for you miraculously. You need to trust me and follow me. That's what he's calling us to. And and so they're saying, well, we're without iniquity or sin. And the problem is, is that they're a bunch of cheating liars in their business and God wouldn't tolerate it because they were his people. They were called to something better. They were called to be something different. They were called to be a people set apart to God. They were called to be a people who reflected the grace and mercy of God to the world around them. They were called to be a people who showed people, who showed the world that this is the God who made us and created us and he desires for us to know him and he desires to bless us and he desires to work in our lives and he desires to give us a hope and a future and our lives are measured by God and his word not the changing culture that we live in our lives are not measured by what our culture thinks is right or wrong which by the way changes all the time right it's constantly changing And God is saying, I am the Lord your God. I do not change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And I have a plan and a purpose for your life. And I want to be a part of your life. And I want to do things. And and I want you to see things and experience things and know things that are impossible apart from me. And if you think that you are living in this world and just going along to get along, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, here's what... The Apostle John said about it, 1 John 1, 8 through 10, he said, even if we say, he said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This, John would say this 700 years later, he'd say, look, you people are just a bunch of liars. You think because you're no different than anybody else that, that you're okay. And he said, that's not the case. That is not the case. In, in Proverbs 20, verse 9, uh, Proverbs says, Who can say I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. The writer of Proverbs just said, Look, we're imperfect people. We, we have not arrived. And, and we need to understand who we are. And God has called out to them repeatedly, yet they've refused to listen. They've refused to draw near to God. And, and the result was spiritual unrest at the minimum. At the bare minimum, they had spiritual unrest. It says that they're altars. He goes on and he says here that... 
that your altars are like stone heaps. In verse 11, he says, your altars are like stone heaps on the furrows of the field. And, and if you come in, it, you, you need to understand, if you, you talk about your altars and, and you compare them to a field, we don't really have any crops up here to speak of. That If you go down south, it, where it's warm, really warm, not you know five feet of snow outside, but, but where the ground is not frozen and they can grow stuff right now in the middle of winter, which doesn't seem right. But, but anyway, they've got these crops and, and you can go and you can see corn and rows of corn forever. And, and they're in straight, perfect lines. And, and you, know, you ever wonder how they do that? I, I mean, I can't even plant a row of carrots straight, you know? And, and I guess if you strung a string up, if you were OCD enough to do that, you could. But who cares, man? They still taste the same if they're crooked or not. But anyway, they got these rows and rows and rows of stuff. And what he's saying is, can you imagine if every row of corn, somebody went and stacked rocks in between it? You know what that would do to the farmer? It would destroy his field. He would not be able to, he wouldn't be able to work the field. He wouldn't be able to walk down the rows. He wouldn't be able to harvest. He would have to spend all of his effort on the rocks. And this is what he's saying. Your life, the way that you're living, and all these false altars that you're building, it's like you're putting rocks in between your furrows. The more stuff that you put up, the more altars you build, the more this false stuff that's going on in your life, the more difficult it becomes for you spiritually. Spiritually, you're taking yourself further and further and further into the abyss, and, and it's making you more, uh, more difficult for you to return to me. In Psalm 16, the psalmist put, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As, the saints, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. If you hold my lot, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let, my Holy One, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, lasting pleasures and fulfillment are found inside the lines of God's word. When he says the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, he's saying, look, the boundaries that you've given me to live in, they're amazing. They're absolutely amazing. He's saying, when I am living inside of this place that God created me to be, when I am walking the way that he created me to, to walk, to live, to be, to think, to act, when I'm in this, he's saying that, that it's an amazing thing. And he's saying that these boundaries are spacious. They're spacious. We think of the boundaries of God as something that confine and constrict us. The biblical understanding of these lines is that you can stand in the middle of the field and you have to look forever to see the boundary. It's like you have all of this amazing creation to live in, to take in, to experience, to draw from. And within that, God has given you this incredible life to live and to be with Him. And He's offering us peace and happiness that can't be taken away from us. He says, in your presence is fullness of joy. When we're walking inside of this, it's an amazing thing. And, and instead of, of trying to go outside of that, which is what Ephraim is doing, and, and just putting rocks in the furrows and, and building up all these altars that are spiritually tearing us down, instead, God is saying, come plow with me. And I'll show you a crop you've never seen in your life. And, and so God's ways and his ways are so contrary to our culture that, that to follow Jesus is to swim upstream. This is, this is what we can see as we look at this. If we're going to follow Jesus, we are swimming upstream. It is not going to be an easy charge to go. So this is where he's calling us to go. He's calling us to go and to swim against the currents of our culture and to go and, and to go into... Uh, 
to where he wants us to be, where he's called and created us to be. And, and that's a difficult do, thing to do when we're constantly inside a culture that's contrary to the word of God. It's difficult. It's, it's not easy. And, and sometimes you just think, you know what? I just need a break. I, I've just had enough. I, I've heard enough. I've listened to enough. I've, I've, I've you know, or maybe you've heard, you know, things are terrible enough or whatever it is. And, and um, you know, the thing I would say is just turn the news off for a while and don't worry about it. Turn the news off. Um, reflect on the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the things of God, the plans of God, the purposes of God. And understand that God is sovereign. He is sovereign. He's in control of all things. And, and that ultimately evil will not overcome. It will not. I mean, I've read the end of the book, and, and Jesus returns triumphant and calls his people into his presence for all of eternity. That's the promise and the hope of God, and, and so we are constantly marketed by a culture that is contrary to the word of God. We are constantly being wooed for our attention because when they get our attention, they make money off of that, and, and, and they are able to build, build whatever it is they want to build. But we need to understand that God has called us to evaluate everything according to his word and evaluate the things that we do, the places that we spend our time, the way that we invest our entertainment, all of it, everything, everywhere, and, and filter it through the word of God. In 1 Peter 2.11, Peter put it this way. He said, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter just said, look, we're, we're just sojourners. We're exiles. We're, we're not a part of this. We're a part of a different kingdom. We're a part of the kingdom of God. And, and abstain from, from the things that are not from God. Stay away from the things that are not of God and, and keep your honor, your your conduct so honorable in other words walk so closely with god when they look at you they say what's different about this guy why is it what drives them how can they do that how can they be that way how can they be such godly people and, and so that's where it's going and then in verse uh chapter 13 as you go on uh, we, we start, stop struggling and receive grace the next thing is to evaluate everything according to God's word and the third thing is to focus on what matters chapter 13 is to focus on what matters it says when Ephraim spoke there was trembling he was exalted in Israel but he incurred guilt through Baal and died and now they sin more and more and make for themselves metal images idols skillfully made of their silver all of them the work of craftsmen it is said of them those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves Therefore, they shall be like the morning mist or like the dew that goes early away, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor or like smoke from a window. But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. Then they were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. So... I am to them like a lion, like a leopard. I will lurk beside the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breast, and there I will devour them like a lion as a wild beast would rip them open. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. Where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Where are all your rulers, those of whom you said, give me a king and princes? I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is kept in store. The pangs of childbirth come for him, but he is an unwise son. For at the right time, he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Though he may flourish among his brothers, the east wind, the wind of the Lord shall come rising from the wilderness, and his fountain shall dry up. His spring shall be parched. It shall strip his treasury of every precious thing. Samaria shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their little ones shall be dashed in pieces and their pregnant women ripped open. God is saying in the end, if you, if you want to turn and, and go somewhere else, that's fine. But, but the east wind, 
that you were chasing, that's going to be my wind that's coming after you. And, and it's not going to happen. So as, as we come in and we look at focusing these people, they were focused on all of the wrong things. They didn't focus in where God wanted them to be. And, and we're pretty scattered in this area and really not a whole lot different from the people who came before us. And, and one of our, our greatest obstacles is staying focused on that which truly matters. That, that if, if I can keep myself focused on what really matters, that's when I'm going to be where God wants me to be. If you can keep your mind focused on, on the things that really matter, that's, that's where you'll be. There, there are people who are incredibly self-disciplined. Do you, do you know people like that? I mean, I know people like that. They are incredibly self-disciplined. They have a goal. And they are able to do that, whatever it might be. You know, these are the people that can walk by the bowl of chocolate. Not me. Not me. These people are incredibly self-disciplined. And they're focused on whatever goal they're seeing. And, and we typically see these people as very successful as long as, as long as, they keep their life in order. You know, within the realm of our culture, whatever that might be, as long as they kind of keep inside those lines, maybe they might color outside of them a little bit, but, but for the most part, they kind of keep things together. We, we just see these people as very successful. And, and typically, I mean, those, those, are, those are trademarks for success. I mean, you know, being able to know what you want to do and do the things that it takes to make it happen. I mean, you know, it works. Um, so so that, that's, you know, there is some truth to that, but it can also be a trap. It can also be a trap. Because if my goal is not the same goal that God has for me, then I'm going down a dangerous path. And I can do everything that, that there is to, to attain that, and, and I may even attain it. But in the end, it'll leave me empty and hollow. Empty and hollow. Because it's something that's outside of the word of God. You see, for Israel, their wealth and success led to focusing on success and what success brings. This is what happened. Their, their wealth and their success brought them to the point of thinking, you know what, this is what I've done. I've accomplished this. I've stacked this up. It's mine. And, and I'm going to do what I want to do. You know what? I'm going to experience some of the things that I'm seeing around me. I, I want to see what the Canaanites do. I want to go live with the Amorites for a while. I want to check out what the Moabites do. And, and in the back of their mind, they haven't realized that, oh, hold on. We conquered all those people. Why? And, and they forgot, and, and they went, and they gained, and, and they were successful. And they forgot that it was the God who led them there who gave it to them. They forgot the God who brought them there. They forgot the God who brought them out of bondage and set them in to freedom. And, and God said that it was a false sense of, of self-perception they had a false self-perception they forgot who they were they forgot I mean in in all honesty they were just a bunch of slaves who had nothing and God brought them out and made them a mighty nation and bestowed upon them crops that were unimaginable a life that was unbelievable, and they squandered it. They forgot who they were. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 20, now the book of Deuteronomy is, um, is, is the last 40 days. The last 40 days before they cross over into the promised land. So you go from Exodus 
to Deuteronomy, there's a 40-year window there, and then you got 40 days, and that's the book of Deuteronomy. And in, in those 40 days, God speaks to the people through Moses. And here's what he says in chapter 8, verses 11 through 20. He says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember that the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. God said, look, don't forget who you are. Don't forget who brought you here. Don't forget how you gained what you have. Don't forget that God is the one that gives you the ability to get to this place. And if you do, then you're going to be like the people who went before you. And this is what God is saying. Here we are um, <clears throat> about four or five hundred years later. And God's saying, remember who you are. Remember where you came from. You're testing my patience. And so they came and, and they tried to do that because they failed to focus on what matters. They were failing to focus upon the things of God and they were focusing on everything around them. Solomon spent an entire book on the futility of trying to find fulfillment in life through anything other than God. He, he wrote this book, Ecclesiastes, and in Ecclesiastes he goes, you know, I tried, I tried every pleasure that a man could try. He said there, there was nothing, nothing that I deprived myself of. And he had the money and he had the power to do whatever he want, uh, wanted and whatever he wished. And in the end, here's what he said in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. He said, the end of the matter. Here's the end of the matter. After all this stuff that I've talked about, here's the end of it. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Solomon, he, he wraps it up and he just says, you know what? The truth of the matter is, you just need to live your life to please God. Because that's where you're going to be satisfied. There is no satisfaction in all this other stuff. There is ultimately, it's good for a time, it's fun for a season. Look, hey, the truth of the matter is, if sin wasn't fun, nobody would do it, right? I mean, we don't just naturally get up and say, I want to go do something today that's no fun. I, I, want to, I just want to go suffer today. I, mean, I, I haven't met too many people like that. Sin is fun. And then it bites you. Once, once you get down the path just far enough, then the rug gets pulled out from under you. And when the rug gets pulled out from under you, you end up in this terrible place. And this is where the people are. This is what's happening with God. And, and so Hosea is reminding them of the grace of God. He's saying, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol, from the power of the grave. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. And God is saying that, that he is offering this and, and he is reminding them of the grace of God and the dangers of rejecting the grace of God. God is offering them redemption and restoration in place of judgment and wrath. And this is, this is what's balancing out here in the conversation. It boils down 
for us today, it really boils down to having a laser focus on Jesus, a laser focus on Christ, a laser focus on who he is and on his kingdom and, and the fact that he offers us life beyond imagination. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus put it this way. He said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. And look, if, if, if we're honest, if we're really honest with ourselves, we know that every single one of us in the room flip that from time to time, don't we? We think, you know what, God? I know you said, wait, but I don't want to wait. You know what, God? I know that <clears throat> this isn't right, but, but, if I do this right now, it'll get me over here quicker. And, and we'll go down and, and we'll make those compromises and we'll go and we don't understand that behind every single one of those compromises is steal, kill, and destroy. Steal our dignity. Kill the things around us that matter. And destroy any chance that we have of truly enjoying life the way that God intended for us to. Or to pass that down to someone else. That, that's his game. And anything that distracts us from the God who provides all good things is a trap that will lead to destruction. Anything that, that does that, it can be something from the outside that looks really good. But when we replace God with it, it becomes evil. <clears throat> you know, I could say... The most important thing in this world to me is my family. And I can put them ahead of God. And you know what I did at that moment? I put my entire family at risk. Because I forgot that the God who gave me a wife and gave me children loves them way more than I do, wants to provide for them way more than I do, cares for them way more than I do, understands them way more than I do, everything. And what he wants me to do is to pursue him. And as I pursue him, you know what he's going to do? He's going to direct me in the right path, in the right path, so that I put my family in a better position. I strengthen it. I build it up. I encourage my wife. I, I encourage my children. I train them properly and, and so forth and, and, and on and on and on. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I've been doing this for uh, 29 years. 29 years I've been a pastor. And, and I've probably lost count, you know, the times that maybe a guy come in and say, look, I'm, I'm having problems. Um, <clears throat> this is going on in my marriage, and, and we'll talk a while. And, and this, is, this is the way I'm wired. I'm wired. I'm analytical. So, um, which isn't a bad thing, but it can be really dangerous, like when the internet goes out, because I'm, I'm, I jump in this analyze thing, and all I want to do is get it fixed and figure out what the problem is, and I forget that I've got more important things going on. Um, but, but, but I'll analyze it. I'll, you know, they'll start saying stuff, and I'll go, oh, that's a mistake. Mm, yeah, you need to change that. Hmm. And, and, you know, you come in really quick and go, and, and, and you know, I may say something. I said, you said what to your wife? That's stupid. Um, and, and I've even said that before and go, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. But, but, it, but it just was, you know. And, and, and you come in and, and you just go and you go, you know what? It's pretty easy. You go, you know, if, you, if you'll do A plus B, it always equals C, right? And if you just do the right things, things will go right. And, and on the surface, this is a good patch. It's a good patch. But that's all it is. It's just a patch. Doing the right things doesn't make me a good husband. Here's what the scriptures tell me to do. It says, husbands, love your wife the way that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy through the washing with the water through the word to present her to himself 
as a bride, spotless and radiant without stain or wrinkle or blemish. So also husbands ought to love their wives. Do I want to do the right things? Or just simply love my wife the way that Jesus loves me? Look, it's really simple. It's a simple thing. So the real problem is, it's coming in, it's not saying, look, here's how you fix it. It's saying the problem is, is you've got a worship problem. You've got a problem with Jesus. Your problem's not with your wife. Your problem's with your heart. And you need to get on your knees and fix your heart. And if you'll get on your knees and fix your heart, then the other stuff will fall into place. Because your wife will see your humility before God. Your hard-headedness will get a lot less. And things will just move the way they want you to move. Now, look, I can flip it with women and, and, and just change the circumstances and say all the same stuff about y'all. So, you know, don't, don't, don't nudge your husband. Because the problem is, is we're all human. But, but here's the issue. The issue is, it's an issue of focus. It's an issue of focus. And we try to do and strive and struggle rather than trusting in God's grace and mercy and provision. We evaluate with the wrong standard rather than evaluating things according to the Word of God and the plans and the purposes of God and and the understanding of who God is and what He wants to do in and through us. And and then our focus gets off whack and, and, and we can't pull it back in. So we pull it back in and this is what God is saying to the people there. He's saying, look, He's saying, you, you've got to get it together because you forgot who you are. You forgot who you are. And you forgot what matters. I brought you out of Egypt. We were on a journey together. We had a covenant. And and I was making myself known to the world through you. It was the most amazing journey you could ever be on. And you gave it up. Come back. Come back. That's that's what he's saying in there. And and he's, he's offering grace. And he says, if not, if not. I'm still going to make myself known. I will still be made known to the world. I will still make my glory known. I will still show myself to people. But you're not going to be a part of it. And that's, that's where it comes in. So you see, anything that distracts us from God who provides all good things, it's a trap. And that's the story in Hosea. Some of the most meaningful things in places were no longer good because they'd been prostituted to the gods of the day. And it's really easy to get distracted and get off track. And one of the ways that we can do that is, and one of the ways that we can avoid that is Thanksgiving, is reminding ourselves, what all has God done for me? What has God done for me? Rather than living in the moment, live in a big spectrum of time. And just go back and look, what has God done? What has God done in my life? As I look through, and I look through years, and you may go, well, yeah, you got decades. I really do just have years. Um, you know, something along those lines. But you look at it and you go, you know what? In, 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 this, in this part of my life, this is what God was doing. In this part of my life, this is what God was doing. In this part of my life, you know what? I kind of forgot. And I need to go back and see, you know what? When I was forgetting who I was, God was still there bringing me back. And he was working in my life to, to, to bring me and, and to walk with me and to, and to protect me and to take me to where he wants me to be. And, and so it's a time to look and to give thanks to God, to constantly remind ourselves that every good and perfect gift is from God. As James said, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Heavenly Father who does not change like the shifting shadows, the God who is constant and always the same. Um, And this is what He does and gives and offers to us. So coming in, we... We just have this opportunity today to look at, you know, what's God doing in my life today? And, And how do I 
What is he doing around me? And how can I, rather than try to make my agenda, struggle and push and press and try to get, 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 how can I just lock into where God is, what he's doing, and, and go on the journey? Because if you look, when, when Israel was on the journey with God, it wasn't always easy, but it was always sweet. And, and the truth of the matter is, life is not always easy. And some of the most difficult things that we go through, when we look at it afterwards, we go, you know what? That has impacted me more than anything else. God has used this for more, more than anything else to draw me closer to him. So, so that's where we are and, and where we come in. So I, I would just ask you today, you know what? Are you trying to earn the favor of God? Are you trying to make God love you? Are you, are you living your life in a way that you say, you know what? I'm going to stand before God one day and I'm going to say, you know what? The good outweighs the bad, so I'm okay. And, and um, Jesus just says it doesn't work. It won't work. He said, he, he said that I'm the way and the truth and the life. There's no way to the Father except through me. He didn't say you can earn, your, earn the favor of God by doing the right things. He said you can only earn it through the grace of God, through Jesus. So um, if, if you're trying to earn the favor of God, quit because it's not going to do you any good. It, it, it's futile. And secondly, it's really frustrating because you just never know. Well, was I good enough? Damn, I doing it. You know, how much more do I need to do? What, what, you know, what's the bottom? You know, uh, do I need a C or a B? You know, how, how is this going to work? So quit. God says quit. Trust me. Receive my grace and follow me. And that's what we do through Christ. We trust that he died on the cross for us. He was buried. He rose from the grave. And he promises that if we turn to him, he will forgive us of our sins, cleanse us, and cover us in his righteousness. God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. That's the love of God. It's an extravagant love. It's a love that's beyond comprehension, and it's a love that he offers to each of us today. If you haven't received it, he invites you to. And for those of us who have, he's reminding us, don't forget who you are. You are my covenant people. You belong to me. I love you. I have a plan and a purpose for your life, and I want you to focus on that. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We praise you and thank you for the amazing love that you have for us in Christ Jesus. We ask this morning, Lord, that you would help us to not be distracted by all the things going on around us, but instead remember that you're the same today that you were 2,800 years ago when you spoke to the people in the time of Hosea. And Father, you'll be the same 2,000 years from now. Father, that your love for us is a love that's enduring, it's a love that's unblemished. And it's a love that's given, not earned. Father, we praise you and we thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as Greg leads us?